All right. Good morning, Emmaus. It's so good to be with you. And those of you who are watching at, at home and connecting online later in the week, uh, if you would, open your Bible to 1 John. 1 John, if you're not comfortable trying to find books and you're navigating in your phone or in your hard copy of the Bible in front of you, 1 John is going to be one of those smaller books, one of those smaller letters toward the end of the Bible. It's almost easier to go to the book of Revelation and back up a couple of books when you're trying to find 1 John. But we're going to be looking at 1 John, primarily chapter 1 this morning. And we'll use the screen up here, and the words will be on the screen behind me, and you'll be able to connect with other places in, in Scripture. As you're finding 1 John, and, and we're getting started this morning, just a couple of quick notes that I want you to be aware of. The first is that if you are a guest of ours, and you're interested in knowing more about Emmaus, or maybe you're looking for ways to get connected, or even curious about joining the church, what does that look like? In a couple of weeks, on July the 12th, we are going to have an information lunch immediately after the second service. So you're obviously welcome to come to the 9 o'clock service and then come back for lunch later. Or if you want to come to that second service at 1045 and stick around for lunch. But we're going to do that on July the 12th. Obviously, with the world we live in, we have to be particularly careful with food and interaction like that. And so we're going to provide boxed lunches that day so there's no handling of food, which also means we need to know generally how many people are coming that day. So if you are interested in signing up for that, you can just send an email to info at OKC. Just as easily, just come find me in the lobby afterward and say, hey, I'm interested in being a part of that. I'll be over here on the north side, the left side of the lobby. Or if you kind of curl around to what we wish was the coffee bar, but it's not serving coffee right now. If you go over there, there's a little brown table, and you can just write your name on the back of an envelope and throw it in the box, and, and we'll make sure we connect, uh, connect you with that. So we want you to know that's an option. We'd love to be able to offer that for you and your family if you're looking for a way. If you're watching at home on, online or connecting later in the week, send me an email or even put a, uh, send us a direct message on Facebook, and we'll get you connected with that, with that lunch. We're going to read these verses this morning. 1 John chapter 5, and then I want to pray for us with it being Father's Day, and now pray about the hope we have in the Lord, and then we're going to look at these passages together. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5 for our Bible reading this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's spend a couple of minutes praying together this morning as we get started. Father, thank you for the gift of what it means that we're able to gather like this, for those who are watching online, for those who have gathered here in the building. 
Father, we have not come just to hear somebody's opinions. We haven't come just because we're trying to check off a religious box. God, we want to worship you. We want to know you. We pray that we would know your word, that you would speak to us, that what it means for you to be light and truth, God, that that would set itself up in our hearts this morning, that you would be Lord of our lives and that we would live differently, that we would be light, that we would speak truth to the world as a result of, of hearing your word this morning. God, thank you as well for the, for the gift of Father's Day. God, thank you for my own gift of, of a godly father and what a gift that is. God, thank you for what Jaron prayed about earlier, the gift of generations, legacies of faith being passed down. God, I pray this morning for those who maybe really struggle with their relationship with you because of bad relationships with their own father. God, we know some people really struggle with religion and faith because of what they've experienced in their family. And God, I pray that they would know you as a good and loving father. God, that you would bring even healing to father-child relationships today through your grace and your forgiveness. God, I pray for the men who desired to be fathers, but has not happened in their lives. God, I pray that you would give them opportunities to connect with the body of Christ, to, to invest in generations. And God, I pray for those who maybe this is a, a hard Father's Day because of losing a father this past year or maybe a loss of a child in their family, whatever that looks like, God, I pray that you would bring healing and hope to their family. God, this morning, we believe that you are light and we believe that you are truth. And God, remind us what that means. Remind us what that looks like. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in a May 25th article at Forbes.com, a man named Rob Toes wrote about the recent emergence of what he calls deep fake technology. Now, if you watched any of the Last Dance documentary about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, you might have in one of the commercials seen deep fake technology at work. During that documentary, there was a State Farm commercial where a couple of sports center analysts and anchors from the late 90s who I remember watching on SportsCenter as, as a kid, but it showed a clip of them doing SportsCenter from the late 90s, and in this clip, they are predicting that this documentary will come out in 2020. The only problem is, they never said that. Through computer manipulation, they were made to look like they said that, but they never actually said those words. Deep fake technology can create faces of people who don't actually exist. It can insert words into your mouth that you never said, and it doesn't take an expert to realize the ramifications of this. To quote the article again, it does not require much imagination to grasp the harm that could be done if entire populations can be shown fabricated videos that they believe are real, but actually are not. The article alludes to the fact that we are beginning to enter what they call a post-truth era. How can you believe in anything when you're shown a video and you don't truly know if it's real or not? Can you imagine the ramifications of that? What does it mean to live in a post-truth world? Now, the idea of truth and lies, let's be honest, is not just a problem out there. It's not just a problem with what we might consider the world. We have to consider the ramifications of truth and lies for our own lives, our own hearts. 
one of the moments as a kid that brought this to bear on my own life, the importance of truth and the impact that it has on other people, is when I was playing junior high golf. Now, if you want to see lying on display, you go to a junior high golf tournament and ask a bunch of junior high kids to keep their own score uh, during a a junior high golf tournament. The other place that our kids are always tested about telling the truth is when they play gaga ball out back, and if you get hit on the leg, you're out, and you can just see little kids' consciences rolling because they're trying to determine, did I really get hit on the leg? Do I want to say that I got hit on the leg? So I was playing in this junior high golf tournament, And we got around to what was going to be our final hole. And none of us had played particularly well that day. In my little group of four, you play with kids from other schools. We got around to the last hole, and we got out there. And this guy said, you know what, guys? Let's just all take fours on this hole. It doesn't really matter. Let's all just write down fours. And so we're a bunch of junior high kids, and so we all just write down fours on on our scorecard. And we get to the end of the tournament, and this guy that I was playing with from another school because we allowed him to write down a four on his scorecard, he got the last medal available in this tournament, and my friend on my team missed out on that medal by one shot. And as a junior high kid, what came to bear on me at that moment was my lie was not just about me. It cost my friend a medal. Now, is a junior high tournament a big deal in golf? No. Now, it is a big deal when you're the junior high kid and you're playing and it's a big deal. Is it a big deal? No. Is truth and lies, light and darkness a big deal in the world we live in? Absolutely is. We would say it has eternal impact. It makes a life or death impact when we think about do we understand truth? Do we understand light? Do we understand what it means for God to be light and truth? Now, we're in the middle of a sermon series about God's character. Who is God? We're on week 10 of what's going to be a 12-week series. We've come, we have two more weeks after this. What do we understand about God's character? That God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God eternally existing as three persons. He's eternally giving and unchangeably good. He created all things that exist through his word, through the power of his spoken word. He continues to work in the world. He's holy judge. He's a jealous God, like we learned about last week, but he's also light and truth. Look in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says there, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now that word message there is not just a throwaway word. It's a word that can almost stand in for the word gospel. This is the good news in the world that we have a God who is light, who is perfectly glorious, who is perfectly holy, who is perfectly truthful, that we can trust him in all things, that his light comes into the world bringing life and hope and light to the world. And there is no darkness. With God, there is no mixture of darkness. There is no mixture of lying. There is no mixture of impurity. That he is perfectly light in the world. We can kind of sum that up with glory, holiness, and truth when we think about light in the world. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we trust and that we serve. 
Now, I don't think there would be any confusion over this, but just in the world we live in, to make absolutely clear, because this concept has been misused in a couple of very gross and absurd ways, but when you see in Scripture this distinction between light and dark, be very clear that we're talking about God's character. We're not talking about light skin and dark skin. Uh, you, you just feel your stomach roll even thinking about the way that this has been misused over, over the years. But we equate that light coming from God is pure and good and truthful. And in him there is no darkness. And this light-dark contrast you find all over the ancient world. But you especially, especially find it all over scripture. It, it begins in creation. And it's really grounded when you get into the Gospel of John. Let me show you a couple of verses from the Gospel of John that kind of ground this concept, and then we're going to come back to 1 John and begin to, and begin to unpack this. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we find that when we talk about God is light, we're not just talking about God the Father. This is God the Son coming into the world, bringing the light of God into our, into our world. You find a really interesting contrast when you get into John chapter 3 and 4. John chapter 3, which has the famous John 3.16 verse that, that many of you have been exposed to over the years. But John chapter 3 begins with this man named Nicodemus. And it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus, this religious leader, comes to Jesus when it is dark. John chapter 4 is the story of this woman who Jesus meets at the well, and she is caught up in a lot of sin, but Jesus comes and offers her hope and salvation. Jesus was sitting beside the well. It was about noon. <laughs> a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Do you see how John is using these concepts of darkness and light to impact the way we think about those? Here's Nicodemus, a religious leader, a male figure in the ancient world who looks like he has it all together, and what's he associated with when he comes to Jesus? Darkness. Here's a woman who is known for, within the community for being involved in sin. What's her concept when she comes to Jesus? She comes to Jesus in the light. John 3 begins to develop this. You get into verse 19 of John chapter 3. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. And then in verse 21, you see where this is heading. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Light is truth. Darkness is lies. But it's not just intellectual truth and lies. It has to do with how we live our lives. Are we living in the light? Are we living in the darkness? Are we living for things that are holy and right before God, or are we trying to hide because we know the life that we're living is not honoring before the Lord? Now here's the incredible thing about 1 John. I love this passage at the beginning of 1 John. If we were sitting down in your living room at your kitchen table to talk about this, or if we were in a Sunday school class, especially a Sunday school class that my wife might be teaching because she loves charts when she teaches the Bible, you would probably see a chart like this if we were gonna do this together. 
These are the verses in 1 John that we're going to look at in in a minute, and they're going to fall out really clearly in three categories. I'm going to walk you through this so you'll see it and begin to develop. You're going to find it in three different categories, and the way it happens is you have a boast that is given. Something is said that is not true, not holy, but it's what a group of people were beginning to say. If we... And then there's a result. If you say that, here's the result of that. And it's always going to come in two parts. Then John will come back and say, instead of saying that, how about we say this? How about we go this direction? And you're going to find two results. Incredible how that's laid out in like this. Let me show you how this works. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. Here's the way it happens in, in that passage. This is the first example we're going to run into. 1 John 1, 6. If we say We have fellowship with him. While we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the boast, what is being said here, if we say, the way that 1 John works is there was a group within that Christian church, within that Christian fellowship, that began to believe things about Jesus that were not true, that were not accurate. And they began to live in a way that was very divisive, in a way that was very unloving, in a way that did not honor the Lord. And there began to be a split in this church. There began to be a split in this community between those who were continuing to hold on to this truth about Jesus and those who were going away. These boasts were probably things that were being said by the group that was pulling away. And so when John writes this letter, he's concerned that his people not say these things. So if we say, hey, we can have fellowship with God. I'm good with God. It doesn't matter the way that I live. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk, walk in darkness, I can be re- My life, the way that I live during the week, doesn't have anything to do with my relationship with God. I can come here. I can be a part of this church. I can claim to believe in God. It really doesn't matter particularly how I live. If we say that, what does John say the result of that is? We lie. Back up. I'm sorry. Back up just real quick on that verse 6. We lie and do not practice the truth. It is a lie before God to say that we can have fellowship with him, and yet the way that we live doesn't impact at all. That's a dangerous lie. That leads us to verse 7 now. Verse 7, but, so here's the, instead of saying that, instead say this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Instead of saying, you know what, I can, I'm good with God and I can live however I want. Instead of doing that, we are called to walk in the light as he is in the light. And what does that lead to? Fellowship with one another. You guys know this to be true, but let me just provide this reminder because it's good for us to hold on to. Our relationship with God directly impacts our fellowship with one another. We can't say, you know what, My relationship with God and my relationship with other people, those are separate. No, in Scripture, they are tied together hand in glove. Being made right with God, walking in his truth, directly impacts the fellowship that we have as a church, the connection we have with one another, and our hope comes through the blood of Jesus, his son. Now, let me show you the second example, because these build into each other, and in fact, they escalate. Watch the way it becomes more severe. Watch the way it escalates. Verse 8. So here's the second example. If we say, so here's a, here's a false boast that's being made by this group that's breaking away. If we say, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth 
is not in us. Now there's a good bit of debate about exactly what is meant by these people saying we have no sin. But for them, they feel like they have reached a level of spiritual enlightenment, a level of spiritual growth where sin is no longer an issue for them. We have no sin. And and in fact, the way to understand that phrase might be we feel no guilt about sin. Sin is not an, an issue for us anymore. In a way, we've moved on from that idea of sin. That is not true spirituality, though. If you say that, what does John say? You're just deceiving yourselves. You are lying to yourself if you say, I've reached a point where guilt and sin is no longer a problem for me. Instead, what should happen? Verse 9. Instead, if we confess our sins. So instead of pretending that sin is not a problem, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God does not abandon his people when they confess their sins. He draws near to them. And we can draw near to him, like Hebrews chapter 4 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the contrast here, or not the contrast, the connection between the word confess and the word faithful. Here's the way that verse is working. If I'm truthful with myself about my sinfulness, God, who is ultimately truthful who is ultimately faithful he will be just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness instead of trying to lie to myself about what i'm facing if i will just acknowledge and open myself up to the lord confess my sins to him he is faithful to forgive a couple of times during this sermon series we've tried to point out some verses that you can memorize with your kids or memorize at home If you need a verse this week to write on a note card and stick it on the mirror, something to talk about at home, 1 John 1, 9. Talk about that in your home. Put it in front of you. Stick it on the wallpaper on your phone. Something to keep this verse in front of you about the importance. Let me show you a really neat connection in the book of Proverbs when it comes to this verse. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Sin, and especially lies, really grow in the darkness. When we keep sin in the darkness, when we keep sin out of view, when we try to live in lies, what will happen is it will continue to grow, it will become toxic, it will fester. Um, A couple of years ago, our kids were starting to age out of car seats, like the traditional car seat, and we thought, you know what, we should, we should try to sell this, give this to somebody else. And so I did the parent move where I began to m- remove the outer portion of the car seat. There's no way we had given our kids that much food over the years in the car. Like, you begin, to, you begin to expose the darkness that's behind the car seat cover, or you do that thing where you begin to, like, pull up the seat in the van to see what might be underneath there, and you're like, oh, my word, when was the last time we went to that restaurant? And, and why, is that, why is that food still there? Yesterday, Amanda was trying to get a bag ready for a trip, and she emptied out a bag, and there was a particular food in there that we thought, it has been a very, very long time since we've been to that particular restaurant. Like, how long has that been in there? When you leave things in the darkness, bad stuff happens. Things grow that should not be grown. What God is saying to us in his word here 
is to step into the light. Don't get trapped in sin. Don't get trapped in lies. John chapter 8, verse 32 says that the truth will set you free, which means as brothers and sisters in Christ, we must be about confessing our sins to one another. We must be about acknowledging our sin before the Lord. And hear me out on this next part. I, I, I'm not apologizing here in just kind of a weak, weird way, but I, I do want to I, I confess before you as your pastor, I worry sometimes that maybe my personality, I even worry that the outward appearance of our main building here, something about life as a church can set up this idea that I can't be truthful about my life. I can't really tell people what's going on. I have to look like I have it all together. And, and as much as I can say this clearly and in love, we need to help one another. I need your help and, and you need my help. We can never move forward as a church if we can't feel like we can confess our sins to the Lord and, and to one another. Now, not everything needs to be said to everybody. There's a way that we do this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But what we have to say is we are not going to pretend like sin is not a problem. And we're definitely not going to hide in the darkness. We're not going to hide in lies. We need to be about confessing our sins to the Lord and to one another. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. We will never prosper as a church if that's the case. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let's look at verse 10. Watch the way this escalates. It even goes up one more level in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So not only do we not have sin, but now, you know what, sin's not even really a category. Like, we've, we've not sinned. That's not even the way we think about what happens at this point. We have made God out to be a liar. Because multiple places in Scripture you find, no, no, in fact, you have sinned. And we find that God has sent his Son to save us from our sins. And so if we say, you know what, we haven't sinned, we actually make God out to be a liar. The reason that's so dangerous is you go to John 8, 44, and you find that Satan is the father of lies. So if we say we have not sinned, we are treating God as if he is the enemy. We are making God out to be a liar. Instead, watch what happens when you get into chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John is really clear here. I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying that sin's a good thing. I'm just being realistic, <laughs> that this is going to be something that we are going to face. If we say, or I'm writing these things so you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, if you find yourself in sin, what do you find to be the case? We have, second half of verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you are a Bible highlighter or Bible underliner and you have a hard copy in front of you, there are two massive theology words in, in this section. It's the word advocate and the word propitiation. There's just theology that oozes out of both of those words. But what I want you to see this morning is how both of those truths about Jesus counter the work of the enemy. So follow me on this, and I think it'll make a lot of sense if, if, I, do, if I explain this in a, an appropriate way. The work of the enemy in Scripture, the work of Satan in Scripture, is he is often called the accuser. 
the one who accuses us of sin, who holds sin over us. If you're a type of person who constantly lives in guilt, wondering whether or not you're being buried in sin, wondering whether or not your sin has been made right, you have an advocate with the Father. This is as a judicial type term where Jesus is coming to our defense against the enemy who is seeking to accuse and slander and hold your sin over you. The one who seeks to hold your sin over you can never stand up against the one who is your advocate. You have the Son of God on your side saying, no, I have given myself for this person. This is one who has trusted in me, who has turned to me for hope. And this word for propitiation, the other characteristic of Satan in Scripture, back to John 8, 44, is that he is a murderer. He takes life. This imagery right here is that Jesus gave his life for us. Satan seeks to lead us into sin that will ultimately lead to death. Jesus died for us in our place. Every one of us has to deal with the reality of sin. None of us can go around and say that we are immune from sin. But what you do have, and if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you've always really been turned off by religion and this idea of sin, can I tell you that what you have in Jesus is you have an advocate who pleads your case before the Father, and you have one who gave his life for you dying for you in your place, that that is the good news of the gospel. That is the hope we have. Let me give you a little summary to make sure we're all on the same page before we kind of wrap this up with some application. This is our foundation for today. This is who we know God to be. He is light and truth. He is true in his word. He is true in his actions. He is faithful and consistent and holy. That truth is revealed to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and it's confirmed by the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Truth. So, as a result of that, we can trust him. And because we can trust him, we have to watch out for a couple of dangers. Here's a couple of dangers to be aware of when you think about this reality. Number one danger, hey, I have a one, a one, and a two. Well, sorry about that. It's supposed to be one, two, three. Taking lightly the work of Christ. One thing that 1 John 1 is teaching us is we cannot take lightly the work that Jesus has done for us. There is no Christianity, there's no advancement in the Christian life without understanding what Jesus has done for you in your place and what he wants to do in your life as a follower of Jesus. That as you grow as a follower of Jesus, you grow more sensitive to sin but you also grow more to understand what Jesus has done in taking care of your sin. So when we grow in our faith, it's not that we grow and we continue to live under a weight of guilt, it's we become sensitive to sin, but we also understand what Jesus has done for us in our place. We're called away from hypocrisy, claiming to live in light, but actually loving the darkness, and we're called away from deception, lying to self and others. So, what is God calling us to do this morning? What is God calling you to do this morning? Number one, he is calling you to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you have never, I'm not supposed to walk to the left. <laughs> Last week I walked to the left and I kept walking out of the screen. So, I'm so glad to have people in the room, I just want to walk around. So, uh, sorry at home if you can't see me and I walked out of the screen. Number one, what is God calling us to do today? He is calling us to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
that if you have never done that, if you have never trusted in Jesus for our salvation, that you would do that today, that he is your advocate, that he is the one who has died for your sins, he has died in your place so that you can have life and have life eternal, that you would accept that good news, that you would confess that, that you would not run from him, but you would run to him. Come into the light. Come out of darkness into the light, a light that purifies, a light that brings eternal life, that that would be true for you. Number two, that you would confess sin to God and others. We need to be a church who confesses sin to God and to others. Now, hear me out. We talked about this a second ago. There's a difference between privacy and secrecy. Secrecy is deadly to your spiritual growth. Secrecy is dangerous. Privacy is a great gift. Not everyone needs to know everything, but there do need to be people that you're speaking to. There do need to be people you feel like, I can pour out my heart to this person. There's a group of people around me that I trust, and I know they love me, and I love them, and I can confess this before the Lord and before one another and find healing. So, Know the difference between privacy and secrecy. Let's be a church that confesses sin. Next, because my numbering is just all messed up. Next, live authentically as light in the world. We, as followers of Jesus, have an incredible opportunity to be light in the world. And one of the best ways we can be light is simply to live consistently. To run away from hypocrisy with everything you have to say, I'm going to speak about Jesus and I'm gonna do everything I can to live for the way of Jesus, to be light in a dark world. We live in a world, as you well know, that is very dark. We have a chance to be light. One of the best ways we have to be light comes on this final slide. It's just to speak the truth. Our God is light and truth. In the world, we are called to be light to people. One way we can do that is to value truth, to be people that when we speak, others say, you know what, I can trust that person. I may not believe what they believe, but I trust them. I see their life, and I see the way they speak, and I see how they live, and I trust them. How do you do this? How do you begin to speak and value truth? You speak humbly and and with love. We build a foundation of truth. Just speak truth in the little things. Sometimes I'll find myself saying something, and I'll think to myself, you know what, that was probably not 100% accurate. Uh, you'll, and you say things you're like, why did I do that? Why did I not, not speak in a way that was completely accurate? Well, usually it's because of personal embarrassment or pride. I'm worried about myself. I'm worried about personal embarrassment, or I'm worried about pride, and so I speak, and I'm like, ah, why not just speak the truth? Just live in the truth. Live in the freedom of speaking what is true. That we would be very careful very, very, very careful what we share with others. To receive something and to pass it on. We would do that in a humble way. As Christians, we should not be known as people who spread untruth. We should not be known as people who spread slander and spread accusations. That we are humble 
and loving in the way that we speak. And the value of wisdom, the value of multiple perspectives to say, I'm not going to know everything. I need people around me. I need to break out of what I, sometimes we call echo chambers, and I need to listen to others. Humbly, I don't have access. I'm not able to know all things, but God puts people around us to provide wisdom and provide multiple perspectives. That we have a faith that seeks understanding. As Christians, we seek to grow in the truth. We seek to grow in understanding of God, that we believe him, but we want to know more of who he is. This is what it looks like to do apologetics. This is what it looks like to come to know why you believe something, to seek to know more things. And not only that, but faith-seeking understanding is this idea that all truth is God's truth, that we want to know the world that God has created in your business, in your job, in your life. When you learn new things, you are doing good and holy work. This is what draws me to something like Oklahoma Baptist University so much, is the idea that when we uphold the truth of God, of who he is, we explore that in every area of life. That talking about truth is not just confined to Sunday morning, it's not just confined to a church setting. You do that every day in the way that you live your life. And we can be a source of light and truth. We can witness to the truth by being of those who value the truth. Let me point you to the last part of 1 John 5, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to wrap up. Let me show you how this book ends. 1 John ends in a very interesting way. 1 John 5, verses 20 and 21. It says there in 1 John 5, verse, these are the last two verses in 1 John. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. There's that word true showing up again at the end of this book. Know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What are we giving ourselves to as a church? What are we going to be known as a church? Let's be a church who understands we have a God who is light and a God who is truth. And let's seek to be light and truth in the world around us, both before God and before one another, and ultimately so that all people would be drawn to him. Let's pray together and we're going to wrap up. Father, we live in a world where it is really hard to know who to trust even something as simple as just getting basic data and information, it's hard to know who to trust. We're a people who are, are prone to be skeptical and suspicious. And we see in Scripture this idea that you are light and you are truth. And God, I pray that that would be good news for us today. God, I pray for anyone here this morning who might be living in darkness maybe living in secrecy, hiding sin and just don't know what to do with it, scared to come before you, embarrassed to come before others. God, I pray that we'd be drawn into the light, that we would remember that you have provided forgiveness. God, let us be a church that lives openly. God, not a church where we try to make sure everything looks good on the outside, but we're a mess on the inside. God, let that not be true of us. God, help us to be really careful to speak the truth to one another. 
Let us be careful and humble about what we share, both online and in person. God, we want to know you, you who are light and truth, and we want that to make a difference in the way that we live. So God, let us be people of light. Let us be people of truth. I pray that many people would come to know how good you are. They would come to trust in Jesus for salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for being here this morning and connecting with us online. I'm going to be out in the lobby on the left side. I'd love to say hi to you before you head home. Thanks for being here. God bless you.